mindfulness mode. Everybody lives two lives. The second starts when you realize you only live one. Welcome to Mindfulness Mode, and today I'm with an inventor, he's an author, he's originally from Belgium, and now he lives in the U.S., and he's got a degree in mechanical engineering, he's done so much. He is concentrating on education at this point, but he's just finished writing a book called The Idea Space, The Science of Awakening Your Non-Self. And some people even call this gentleman the 21st century Einstein. And so we're going to be talking about that. I'm here today with Clément de Croix. Clément, how are you? Are you in mindfulness mode today? I am absolutely living in mindfulness mode today, Bruce. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute <laughs> pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to get a chance to talk to you, Clement. So what does mindfulness mean to you? Great question. I love it. Um, so for me, I take a lot of inspiration from uh, Joseph Goldstein, uh, who says mindfulness is noticing the arising of an idea space, the passing of an idea space, and then both the arising and passing of an idea space. So a lot of people sometimes make mindfulness more complicated than it has to be. But at the end of the day, it really is kind of like an on and off switch of just, are you being mindful of your breath or the sensations, or are you just lost in thought, which happens to everybody? <laughs> <laughs> well, Clem, I want to dig right into your book called The Idea Space. What was the uh, reason that you decided to write this book? What was your goal? Of course, yeah, a lot of different goals. So one day, uh, like five years ago, the words idea space came into my mind and they just kind of stuck with me because I was doing, so I'm a bit of a nerd. I like to read uh, textbooks for fun in the morning. And so I was reading a lot of math textbooks uh, at the time. And specifically I was reading a book called Abstract Algebra by Dummett and Foote. And in there, they kind of talk about groups and how those come together. And I thought to myself, what if we applied the same principles of math onto thoughts? Right. What if there was a space for thoughts, emotions, sensations and perceptions? What would that space look like? What would the identity of that space be? Um, and so that was kind of like one fold. And the second aspect of it was I was listening to someone named Naval Ravikant, okay. who is the founder of AngelList. And he said, uh, you got to do something that'll make you money while you sleep. Uh, and I was like, oh, you're so right. <laughs> so uh, I could code. Um, I read a lot and I was like, you know what? Let me try to write a book. So I wrote an outline and then I just wrote it bottom to top. And uh, the first draft was 700 pages and a little too technical. I realized that was a little too much for everybody. So the final draft right now is around 300-ish pages. It's got over 200 illustrations. So um, it's an enjoyable read for people. Uh, it's not too complicated. My mom was unable to understand everything in it. Uh, and she has no scientific background. So that was kind of the approach I was taking for it. And did you do the illustrations or who did them? Great question. So I did the base concepts for them, but my artistic abilities involve taking icons, dragging them in and making squiggly lines in PowerPoint. Yeah. So once I had the kind of like the idea of what, uh, what message I wanted to convey with each illustration, uh, I went on Upwork and hired a freelancer whose name is Owner Akin from Turkey. And he killed it, absolutely killed it. And just everything you see on the website, throughout the book, even the book cover, um, his sort of like creative genius of just bringing the brand to life. Oh, that's fantastic. So it's, it says in your bio that, uh, you've been working as a global educator since 2018. Tell us about that. 
Of course, yeah. So um, when I went out of college, I went right into IBM. And during my time with IBM, I was very passionate about wellness in general. So that includes exercise, sleep, nutrition, and then mindfulness and meditation, of course. And so um, within IBM, I started leading a group of uh, kind of wellness leadership events for thousands of participants across the globe. And thankfully, this was right during COVID. So a lot of people were receptive to this sort of events. And since everything is online nowadays, it was very easy to get people from across the globe to join. And so during our talks, we kind of, we had a great team that was very well balanced and very well versed. And we just kind of each picked our different domains that we liked. I loved exercise, sleep, and meditation. Um, so talked about those a lot. And then just got a great feedback from everybody. We did uh, something called an NPS score, which is a net promoter score at the end of every session. And it's basically goes from negative 100 to 100, where 100 is killing it. Negative 100 is you probably got to rethink something. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we constantly were getting 95s, 99s um, on average. So uh, it was a great time. And it was just very nice to be able to spread the message to, of, because at the end of the day, there's it's very, um, I think if you ask someone like, how do you be healthy? You'd be like, oh, well, you sleep well, you exercise, you meditate, and you try not to drink too much. <laughs> and it's like, all right, ta-da, there's your winning recipe. But then like the, the hard part is um, getting that determination uh, to continuously do that. And I think giving a scientific foundation for a lot of these things helps people understand why they're important. And then which makes it easier for them to want to take that on in their lives. Okay, so I was just going to say, if somebody came to you and they were having trouble sleeping, what would you tell them? And you kind of did tell us <laughs> concisely what you would tell them. Can you expand on that? Yeah, of course, with sleep. Um, I would first recommend reading Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Uh, he's a professor. I think he's at Berkeley now, but was at Harvard before. And it just is a beautiful book about kind of every reasons why we sleep, different reasons for sleeping, what happens when we sleep. And so just to give a little high overview, the two main reasons why we sleep are because of something that we know called your circadian rhythm, right? And so in order to see this, we kind of measure melatonin levels. And so throughout the day, you have low melatonin levels. And when nighttime comes, melatonin comes in and says, hey, it's time for sleep. And this is usually linked with the sun. So that's why it's super important to go out and get some sunlight in the beginning because it kind of resets your circadian rhythm. And the second reason why we sleep is, is because of something called adenosine. And adenosine is a chemical that kind of builds up in your brain over time. And it kind of just gives you, makes you tired, puts you to sleep. And so you get something at the end of the day where you have high levels of um, melatonin and high levels of adenosine. And then the combination of the two makes you just want to pass out. Uh, and so it's just kind of under, like it's a cycle of those two things. And the thing that's interesting about adenosine, it's a very close chemical structure to uh, caffeine. It has a purine group as its foundation. And so when you take caffeine, it basically inhibits those adenosine receptors. So you're preventing the adenosine from building up. But once the caffeine fades, the adenosine is still there. So it just hits you kind of like a brick wall, which is why you get really tired sometimes after drinking too much caffeine. So um, that's kind of like understanding the science of like why we sleep. And then, of course, exercise helps put everything into balance and right. eating well as well. So it's not a standalone item. Yeah. And earlier when you said don't drink too much, I assume you were referring to alcohol. Am I right? Of course. Yeah. And I know Matthew Walker talks about this in the book too. He says alcohol is one of the worst things you can do with your sleep. It just like gets you out of your not REM, out of your REM. And it just 
messes up your whole sleep cycles. But Isn't it one of the worst things then, you can you know, do to your body as well in general? Yes, I think so. It's like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of like a poison. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, I think there's people who thrive in with like alcohol and like social situations to be able to kind of just like survive and live the life that they want to. So I never say like, don't go like cut alcohol completely. If that's like something you very, you very much enjoy, then just be moderate about it. Right. Don't get belligerent yeah. <laughs> in any situation. Yeah. Don't do it too often. Um, and just be mindful of the experience as a whole. And for me personally, I try to not do it too much just because that's when I'm least mindful, I would say, but if I'm celebrating an event like a wedding or um, something else, then I will definitely kind of let loose a little bit and just kind of enjoy myself. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's talk about meditation and what your meditation practice looks like. Yeah, of course. So um, I think for me, meditation is best if you do it in a diverse way. So just really diversifying your toolkit, whether it's doing stoicism, Zen, Buddhism, transcendental meditation, headless way. It's just a, or just more basic mindfulness techniques, such as just focusing on the breath. Like every night before bed, I just count my breaths to 20. So 20 in breaths, 20 out breaths. And I'm like, all right, that feels good. <laughs> and so the key is finding something that sticks with you at the right moment in time. So when you're starting, I think basic beginner practices, body scans, you name it, that works great. But after a while, you kind of have more questions and you want to know more. So you explore different paths such as stoicism or kind of Zen, like I talked about. Right. So where did this name come from where people are referring to you as the 21st century Einstein? Yeah, so um, this is funny. Uh, so my manager, actually, I was talking to him about this and we were just kind of brainstorming marketing ideas because at the end of the day, it's really like to go from nothing to something, you got to go super hard on marketing and just like try to get people to click or try people to get engaged um, just so that they can listen to your message. And he was like, what about like the new Einstein? And I was like, oh, that's kind of catchy. But I was just at the same time, that's a lot to live up to just because Einstein was such a great person. Um, Walter Isaacson wrote a great book about him. And then uh, my publicist, Sarah, was also like, well, what about the 21st century Einstein? I was like, if you guys think it works, great, let's do it. Um, there is a bit of a pressure that I'm still trying to figure out that comes from dealing with that name. But uh, hopefully over time, um, I get the opportunity to kind of slowly build into something new. Right. Well, that's that's interesting. So I want to talk about sports because it sounds like you have quite a love for sports. So has this always been the case since you were a little kid? Of course. Yeah, I just love moving. I love staying active. Um, and my favorite sport right now is basketball. I can't get enough of it. <laughs> yeah. So you're out uh, mostly by yourself shooting hoops or do you get together with friends a lot or what? Yeah, it depends on the day. Uh, if it's during the week, sometimes in the afternoon, I'll just go out and hoop for like an hour or two. Just me and the blacktop, the best way to do it. Uh, and then on the weekends, get some games of five on fives going. Um, and it's just fun. I always injure myself. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and my do? mom was like, you should stop. Yeah, so I've had some uh, pretty horror stories. So um, like I've just like twisted all my ankles, like jammed my fingers more times than I can count. And some other unfortunate ones I can tell you off the podcast. Um, 
uh, and then so yeah, but I still love it. It's like the game. It's just so much fun. It's like an art form. You get to be creative, and you just don't, you don't have time to think. You just kind of go move, and it's kind of like same way with soccer. So you just think all the time from the sounds of it, and you're always thinking of inventions. So what's this about 100 patents? Tell us about that. Yeah, of course. Great question. So um, during my time with IBM, uh, I got the opportunity to work with a lot of people who are on Wikipedia's most prolific inventors list. And they just kind of showed me the ropes for how to become a prolific inventor with focusing on quality inventions at the same time. And so during my t in a one year span, I submitted 130 patents to IBM. Around 50 of them are filed, and today 20 of them plus are issued. Uh, the patent cycle is around two years, <laughs> so from like ideation to actual issuance. So it takes a very long time to build up, but over time they all slowly come through, and it's just really cool to see your name on patents.google.com. Like, oh, I did that. <laughs> that is very cool. It, well, it can you hurt. can you share with us a couple of interesting invent inventions you've come up with? Of course, yeah. So the key to patents is it's a system and method for doing something. So you're thinking of new way to solve a problem. And so my favorite invention I did was called a uh, 5G fractal um, network. So 5G is what you know around uh, get, how you get data on your cell phones. Um, one of the big things with 5G is you get increased bandwidth from placing more micro cells around uh, a particular area. So with more cells, you just have more people that are able to do more things at this wall at once. And so the idea for this was using different fractal patterns um, and using and just like to place the nodes of the network at different spots and then using some sort of recurrence algorithm to sort of as a sort of feedback loop that would tell you was like, okay, well, how's the network if we do this sort of distribution? How's the network if we do that sort of distribution? And just kind of playing around with what sort of fractal patterns work best. Uh, and that was kind of the idea. Oh, that's interesting. Is 5G dangerous? to humans? So I'll put it like this. I don't think so. Um, everything is dangerous because it's like, oh, you have radiation going through you. But the key is like, how long is the wavelength, right? So for example, if you have a radio wave um, that's a couple meters in length, it's going to, the chance it's going to go through you and interact with an atom or something is like 0.0001%, right? So since 5G is, I think, I'm more on the upper end of wavelengths, I think you're in a good spot. But on the other end, if you have something like a gamma ray, which happens in like, a, let's say, a, a supernova that just like comes barreling to you from the cosmos and that hits you, that wavelength is super small. So the way that it'll probably interact in your like in your palm of your hand, 10 to the 10th times. And, and just because it's so small, you can interact with nucleus at a high level. So. I would say 5G, not so dangerous. If you go up to more cosmic rays, definitely dangerous, which is why it's nice to have an atmosphere. <laughs> well, it seems like we've come to a place in history where there's so much controversy about what's safe and what isn't safe, you know, and especially going through the whole COVID thing and there are all these theories. Um, it, it Like, I, I just think that people grab a hold of some of these ideas and go with them. And sometimes there's no scientific basis for them at all. Yeah, totally agreed. And there's a good quote um, by Zen master who said, as soon as something is deemed important, it becomes a nest and then people get attached to it. And of course, attachment is the cause of all of suffering, right? As soon as you attach to something, you're bound to suffer because 
whatever you attach to is bound to change over time just because it's uncountable, it's impermanent, it's always changing. And so, I mean, in today's society, I think things get weird when you throw money into the mix, right? Um, if there's an opportunity for people to make money on something, then they will try to, even if it's not 100% necessary, and they'll sell it as a safety thing. And of course, it's important to have safety first, um, but it's just a weird side effect of involving money into it, and there's just no way around it. Well, you said you would like to uh, make money while you sleep, and so you wrote the book. What other ways are you going to use to make money while you sleep? Fantastic question. Yeah, so when I first started writing, someone told me that you can't make money writing a book, and I was like, rats. So I was like, there goes my plan right away. Um, but I released uh, two complimentary um, kind of card sets to the book, 100 Mindful Prompts and 100 Daily Meditations to kind of complement the book and bring a more practical way to bring mindfulness into your everyday life. Um, so that's kind of one aspect I'm pursuing right now. And then the other is doing different sort of book tours, uh, speaking engagement, things of that nature. And I think at the end of the day, I would love to work with some of the world's smartest people on some of the world's hardest problems. So I'm a nerd, like I told you, uh, and I've been reading a lot of books on nuclear reactors, rockets, um, computers and semiconductors. And so I would love to kind of blend all of those together in the future, whether it's working on um, a kind of nuclear rocket or working at Helion, uh, which is a fusion company, and just trying to just revolutionize the world in some way, whether it's getting humans on Mars, kind of like Elon is trying to do, or just completely revolutionizing the way we think about energy through nuclear. So um, I think that's kind of like the future goal. And the book is sort of like a springboard to help. You never have to write a resume ever again. That's the goal. So like that, he was like, oh, what's Clement about? Read the book, read the website and kind of one more there. And what do you think about Oppenheimer and what he did and his life path? Yeah, I actually just saw the movie last week. And I loved it. I was, uh, I'm a huge sucker for Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so good. This, the first hour really brings you in the setting. And then as soon as they all get to Los Alamos and it is just so well done. And so something I've been wanting to know for a long time is like, how does an atom bomb work? Right? Like how does it actually structurally work? And I think seeing that move me gave me the final pieces I need in order to fully understand it. And so now I feel like I can, with some certainty, say that I have a general understanding of like how to make an atom bomb, which is terrifying. (laughs) Um, But uh, like a cool, um, not cool tidbit of knowledge that I've always wanted to know how to do. And it's just cool to finally be able to say, oh, when you read enough things, explore the world in enough ways and just open your mind to different things, the knowledge comes to you. And so I love the movie. Oppenheimer was cool and definitely I understand the uh, there was a lot of deaths associated with everything that happened with it. And I'm not a huge advocate for war, um, but different times call for different um, measures. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was very moving, you know, in that he felt he he had no choice. Like he really needed to move forward on that. And he had the, the knowledge and the skills of how to do it. So and then he struggled with it. Yeah, I liked the movie too a lot. So. Yeah, and I think, especially in academia, when someone's like, hey, we're just going to give you unlimited money to study the thing you want to study, it's hard for people to say no. Because then at the end of the day, it's like, 
I'm pursuing science, I'm pursuing my passion. And in a way, like the atom bomb project and Manhattan project opened up the door to nuclear reactors to work on a very efficient level. And so while there was definitely some travesty associated with it, I think it also opened up the door to the atomic age, right? And that's kind of the age we're in right now and slowly shifting to the AI age. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to bring up the topic of AI. Yeah, it seems like AI has come on very quickly, but has it really? Has it really happened quickly? No way. AI has been a thing that's been around for years. Um, so <laughs> I, I love the word AI because it makes me chuckle because you can get something as an AI model as simple as, simple as like a linear regression, which if you'll remember from your classes, Y equals MX plus B, right? And so if you split your, your data into a training set a, and then a testing set, you have an AI model, a very simple one, albeit. But I mean, computers for years on end have used prediction as a sort of improving performance, whether it's in throwing them into caches, which are just um, more readily available memory systems or just predicting what you want to do next. Um, David Patterson, uh, who wrote a lot of great books on this, and I think he's at Berkeley right now, has just says that prediction is one of the one of the main themes that has um, driven computers throughout time. And the AI model like ChatGPT is just a prediction. It's just trying to predict what the next character will be in the sentence. And it's just happened to be trained to be really good at answering every single question you can think of. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? <laughs> And, and so what do you Have think you about when, with it? when people are writing, like writing articles, writing books, whatever, you know, we can get all sorts of ideas from AI doesn't necessarily mean you're just grabbing the text and pasting it in. But do you think that we need to be constantly saying, hey, just a second, this idea came from AI. Do we need to be acknowledging that if, when we write our books and our articles? Of course, I think so. Um, just because it's like a work cited uh, because when you look at the AI, it's trained on a lot of data and the data it's trained on for ChatGPT specifically is like Wikipedia, Google Books uh, and a couple other sources. So um, when you do so for me, I thought it was really helpful for editing my book. Just like if I had a question on something, I would po post it in like my editor gave me feedback. I'm like, this is my passage. This is what my editor said. What do you think? And he's like, wow, that's a great point by your editor. Here's how I would <laughs> rectify this. And you're like, wow, you're so smart, Chat TPT. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. I think it should be uh, definitely works cited. And it depends what model you use, right? Facebook has Llama. There's Claude, which is an open source model, which is fantastic as well. Uh, and then Chat TPT obviously is the gold standard. But it'll be interesting to see in the coming years um, what happens with it. Just because, so Chat TPT, for instance, has a lot of brains on it on what it's allowed to say and what's it's not allowed to say. Um, so over time, it'll just be interesting to see the different applications, whether it's for finance, whether it's for meditation, right? I wrote a patent for a um, AI assisted meditator. So you type kind of in the mood that you're in and then it just writes a meditation for you and then speaks it to you. So um, it's a beautiful thing. And it's like the next iPhone, right? Like with every, it's for all the good that comes with it. There's bad that comes with it. But at this point, the humans have just picked it up. And so we're kind of just forced to use it at this point. Right. And so that AI for meditation that you wrote, is that available now? So I have a script where, that works. That's very like basic for like a 10 to like one minute long meditation. 
Um, in order to really like get it to that next level, I really want to find someone who has the meditation voice and just train the data on their voice. That way the person speaking is someone that's soothing and really right. nice. And then the beautiful thing is there's another great tool out there called HeyGen AI okay. that can convert your speech to any language. And I think that's a great, um, speaking with a lot of people in the mindfulness industry, one of the problems right now is just expanding to different markets, right? And the problem is that you don't speak the language, so it's hard to get someone to want to listen to something when it's not in your language. Right. And so I think you can get a workflow where you use ChatGPT, you use um, either Google Cloud or uh, Eleven Labs to get the speech, the text-to-speech, and then you use HeyGen to get the language that you want, and you have a really, really powerful pipeline, and you can do some crazy things with it. Wow, that is really fascinating. Yeah, AI, it's just like there are so many aspects of it that are very, very cool. I want to ask you about bullying because I've worked in that field for some time. Do you have any stories about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? I, I think there, there's one um, for me. And so when I was a senior in high school, I saw someone just pick up a freshman and throw him on the ground. And it was just like a heartbreaking thing to see. And I always look back on that moment and wish I had said something. And I just like did it. And like, it still irks me to this day, like very much so. Um, and I think if I had more, if I had been, if I had developed a deeper meditation practice or mindfulness practice, I think in that moment, I would have been able to just like do something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, instead of just being a bystander. And so I think that's why it's super important to teach meditation at a young age to different people, just because one of the keys to meditation is kind of ego detachment, right? And I think a lot of bullying comes in from kids thinking that they have an I, and it's like a very um, human concept, right? Like before, you're, when you're, it's like a dog. When you get a dog, the dog doesn't know it has a name, right? But then over time, it slowly learns its name. And that's kind of like the same thing with humans, right? You're a baby. You're like, ah, here's the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and so you kind of like slowly over time develop your name. And then you get this idea of the illusion of self, uh, which is this concept of like, where do you start and where do you end, right? And so to steal from Douglas Harding's uh, Headless Way experiments, um, like if I looked at you from this distance, I'd be like, hey, that's Bruce. I know him. And then if I looked at closer, then I would see some cells. If I looked even closer, I would see molecules. Um, but as close as I can get, I can never see your idea space. I can never see all your thoughts, emotions, sensations, and perceptions. Similarly, I could zoom out and then you would become a state, a country, a planet, a solar system, and so on and so forth. So you get this weird conundrum of kind of like, where do you begin and where do you end? And Richard Feynman has a good quote here where he goes, what is a chair, right? Some atoms evaporated from time to time. Some of it is paint, some of it is dust. So to define any object precisely is impossible. And so we deal with everything in sorts of approximations and idealizations. And so your name is just an approximation we use to say, to identify with all of our thoughts, emotions, sensations, and perceptions at a particular point in time. And so we all expand and contrast with an aching tooth or resonate with our country when they win the World Cup or something. And so, I think with bullying, um, it's important to teach these children this because it's this ego detachment will help prevent 
unnecessary words from being said uh, that can be hurtful just because kids will just say the darndest things just because it's the first things that come to mind and that's what being a kid is. And so I think uh, teaching meditation and mindfulness, especially from a scientific standpoint so that they can understand it, um, will help just limit the hurt that kids can cause on one another. Yeah, very insightful, yes. I want to talk about, first I want to mention your your website, theideaspace.io. So Mindful Tribe, check that out, theideaspace.io. And of course, the book is called The Idea Space, The Science of Awakening Your Non-Self. And the hard copy is coming out in October, October 10th. But uh, I'm really excited, Mindful Tribe, for you to get a chance to read this book. But I wanted to ask you, Clem, about... Um, social interactions for you. What's it like for a person like you that has so much ability in so many different areas and so much intelligence? What's it like for you to get out there and interact with other people who probably don't feel that they have so much intellect? Is that challenging? First of all, you're far too kind. Um, <laughs> uh, second of all, I like, that's funny. Um, I always think like, I'm a silly person. I'm a goofball. I'm uh, very aloof at times. Um, so like, I think like I just study things that make me happy. And in order to be smart, I think it's more so associated with how happy you are. You could, I know so many people that just are incredible business leaders or super smart, but like intelligent in like the traditional way, but aren't happy. And it's like, are you smart if you're not happy? So, I mean, I, I, there's also this concept in Zen of a Buddha and a Buddha is an awakened individual, but the whole thing is that you wake into, into sights, sounds, sensations, and perceptions, what's already around you. And so uh, Alan Watts has a good quote where he said, a Buddha is a man of no rank. He is not above like an angel nor below like a demon. And so for me in my mind, like I'm just a normal dude. I'm just a guy. Uh, I like sports. I like to drink a little bit every now and then I love to have a conversation with my friends. And so it's, I don't think it is a challenge for me just because I see myself as just a normal person. And so when I talk to people, I just see them as normal people and I just want to get to know them for who they are. And I think there's so much to learn from everybody. So um, while I have my nerdy ho hobbies, uh, I definitely don't let them get in the way of uh, social interactions. Yeah, well, you definitely come across as being very easygoing, very easy to talk to, very relaxed. And so that's really cool. So after I, I read all the information about you, I thought, wow, I'm going to be talking to this genius, which I'm sure you are, but you're also very, very easy to talk to and approachable. Yeah, again, you're far too kind. Yeah, I just like, I just like talking to people. It's fun. Um, yeah especially after COVID where everybody was just like hibernating. I'm excited to kind of just get back out there and go on this book tour uh, from like October to February and just get to meet different people, talk about the book, talk about life and just, you know, just live life. <laughs> so will you be traveling across the country to do that? Yeah. So we have, oh man, like 30 cities in four months, give or take. So uh, I live up in, uh, middle of Pennsylvania and Allentown, right. an hour north of Philly. Yeah. So they're going to go to Philly, New York, Boston, all of those, move across the top all the way to Seattle, down, and then back across. And that's going to be part one. And then part two is going to be flying out to Phoenix and then just hitting the southern states and coming back up uh, after Christmas time. And what about Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, and Halifax? 
that's the next one. So I'm getting my passport renewed as we speak. So I'm unable to travel internationally so, uh-huh. right, so right now. But um, as soon as I can get that and uh, if the tour is a success, which I'm hoping it is, then I would love to do an international tour with Canada, Mexico, um, and then Europe as well. And then Asia eventually down the line. Very cool. Will you be doing this by yourself or do you have a team going with you? What's happening? Yeah, that's a great question. So so many people have helped me throughout my whole entire kind of endeavor, whether they've just listened to me go on a rant about something random. Um, but my parents have been supportive from day one. Uh, my manager, Matt, he's helping me with a lot of random things. Owner, I was telling you about, he's an illustrator. He made this like a, le- a legit brand. Um, Sarah, my publicist, has been great. And Taya, who drew the first uh, bubbles and her handwriting is the font that we use for the idea space. I call it Taya Magic after her. Um, and yeah, there's just like so many people that have just done a little bit just throughout the way. And so um, while it may seem like an individual effort, it certainly isn't. Uh, and like for the last one, like uh, the physicist I was telling you about at Villanova, I think before we started recording was uh, he, he listened to me blabber about nonsense for <laughs> five to 10 hours straight. <laughs> and so I'm thankful for just for his time and uh, willingness to listen to me speak about things that he's obviously very well versed in and not just being like, hey man, you gotta stop talking. <laughs> so um, a lot of great people. Well, what I've noticed during the interview is that you really, you're really good at stopping talking. Like you say something and then you stop. And that's not true for everybody that I interview. Some people just don't <laughs> stop and I have to be the one to stop them. So I'm impressed with that. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like people come here to listen to you. So, um, I mean, you've built a great following over the years, so it's great to just be able to be a part of it. And uh, I got to ask you, where'd you come up with the original, uh, mindfulness mode, uh, sort of thing. I love it. Every time I hear it, I'm like, yes, that's great. (laughs) Well, I wanted something that would be catchy. I'd studied SEO. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, we got to do a thing for search search engine optimization here. We've got to get maybe an alliteration, you know, mindfulness, mindfulness, what can this be? You know, so I just, that's how I approached it till I thought of that. Love it. Yeah, it worked out well. Thanks. Yeah. And then, yeah, it worked out well right away because on, on Apple, I was all of a sudden getting like really a lot of hits on there. A lot of people were listening and and back in 2015, mindfulness wasn't being talked about as much, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, And I think that's one of the the goals with the book too, is just to like deepen people's mindfulness practices that already have one. And then for the skeptics, just to give it that scientific foundation so that they can kind of open their hearts and their minds to a concept that's been around for thousands of years. Um, But just because it lives in a space that is hidden to everybody else. Like I can't see what's happening in your mind. You can't see what's happening in mind. Um, doesn't mean it's less of a science than the science of objects like physics, biology, and chemistry. So in order to talk about it in the same way, we have to introduce a new science, which, uh, I call the science of the first person, um, to talk about the idea of space. And thankfully a lot of the tools. So in the science of objects, we use rulers, timers, and semiconductors to measure things. Uh, but in the mind, we can't really do that. So that's why different techniques, like we talked about earlier, like mindful, uh, mindfulness basics, Zen, Stoicism, TM, meditation, you name it. Those are the new tools that you use to kind of measure and just dissect your idea space. 
Yeah, for sure. Clem, as we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one Let's is this, do it. who is one person that has been a powerful mindfulness inspiration to you? Joseph Goldstein. Okay. And my second question is about emotions and how has mindfulness helped you to deal with your emotions? It has helped me notice the half-life of my emotions and reduce them greatly. As soon as you notice emotion, you'll see its half-life just whoop, shoot down. That's something Sam Harris does. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. And uh, breathing. We haven't talked about breathing at all. Do you have any techniques or any thoughts, any ideas about breathing and how it can help us in a mindfulness kind of way? 100%. Breathing is like the fuel to the function of your whole entire body. So... Um, James Nestor wrote a great book called Breath, uh, The New Science of Breathing. So check that out if you haven't. But one of the key things for breathing is a base breath, having a, a breath that you go to every day. And ocean breath is my go-to. So just put your hand in front of your face and you just try to fog it up like you would a glass. like, And now you do the same thing except with your mouth closed. And you notice you get a lot deeper breath. And I think maintaining that breath Five and a half seconds inhale, five and a half seconds exhale. Whenever you can, is a great breath. That was a little longer. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, my next question is about a book. And you've mentioned a number of books throughout the interview. Any other books that come to mind that you want to share? Um, on any topic in particular or just mindfulness well, specifically? Yeah, mostly mindfulness. Maybe it could be on AI. It could be anything that pops into your head. Gotcha. Okay. I'll give you a couple of books for different categories. So mindfulness, um, Joseph Goldstein wrote a book called mindfulness yeah. and it's just, it hits everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a little repetitive, but I think the repetitiveness helps just ingrain the concepts in your head. Then there's also, um, the blue Clifford, the blue cliff record, which is kind of like the Zen Bible. And it's a hundred different koans that just have truths in them that are just ineffable. And then if you're a sucker for physics like me and you're looking for a nice textbook to read uh, and they have a math background, I would recommend The Large Scale Structure of Space Time by Stephen Hawking. Just like a beautiful illustration, beautifully illustrated book. And if you want something that's a little less technical by him, The Brief Illustrated, of, the Brief illustrated History of Time by Stephen Hawking is also a, a marvel. Yeah, I want to read that. Yeah, I have not read it yet. So thanks for sharing this information. That's great. And how about apps? Any apps that can help with mindfulness? Of course, there's so many nowadays, which is yeah. great. Um, I like personally Sam Harris's Waking Up app. I think it has a good mix of introductory and then depth, just because it has a lot of different people in it that do different sort of meditation techniques. And I think that's kind of one of the kind of topics I was hitting on earlier of just Build a well-rounded idea space and you'll be good. Well, this has been so much fun meeting you and talking to you, Clem, and learning about what <clears throat> some of the things are that you think about and that you love in your life. What Do you have any final words of advice before we wrap up the interview? Yeah. So I'll leave everyone on a quote by Confucius. And it's one of my favorite quotes. It's kind of what awakened me in a way. Um, it's everybody lives two lives. The second starts when you realize you only live one. Ah, very good. Very good. 
Well, it has been a lot of fun, and I wish you all the best with your book tour. And once again, theideaspace.io, Mindful Tribe. So thanks again for being with us, Clem. Thanks for having me, Bruce. This has been a blast. All the best to you. Bye now. See ya. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening to the episode today. Check out Mindfulness Mode TV. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash TV. And you'll be able to check out all of my YouTube videos. I have YouTube shorts. I have full episodes up there. And for those of you who have already gone on and left comments and liked it and subscribed, thank you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, that would be great if you would do that. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.